we can learn a lot from geese. In fact, uh, as geese take flight from the Canadian shoreline, they lift off the water in a squawking discourse, and literally within a matter of seconds, a line begins to emerge from the mass of feathers. And then the line straightens, and it arches slightly, and then as though on cue, it forms a V formation. Canadian geese fly in a V formation for a very pragmatic reason. A flock of geese flying in formation can move faster and maintain flight longer than any one goose flying alone. In fact, by flying in a V formation, the whole flock adds at least 71% greater flying range than if each bird was flying on its own. When the head goose gets tired, he rotates back in the V pattern, and another goose just comes right up, takes that point. Geese love to honk. And they honk from behind to encourage those up front. They honk to encourage them to keep at it. They honk to keep them on course. And they honk to uh, keep up your speed. Honk! Okay. Well, whenever a goose falls out of the V formation it suddenly feels the drag and resistance of flying alone. And in feeling that resistance, it's encouraged, it's moved to get back on course with what it was designed to fly. When a goose gets sick or is wounded on, in flight, two, sick, or two geese will step out of formation, fly down, and hang with the herding goose. We'll stay with that goose until that goose gets back on its wings or until that goose dies. And if it dies, those two geese that are there will actually jump up, start flying, jump into another V formation until they can catch up with their homies and then join back in to with where they were. I'll just say this. Canadian geese get synergy. They get it. They get the value of together. They get the understanding that one plus one is more than one. Canadian geese get team. In fact, they are built and wired to fly team. They get the value of giving encouragement. They get the value of coming in place and serving one another. Canadian geese, they get it. Canadian geese get loving and living one another. Canadian geese. Do we? Do you? Grab your Bibles and let's go to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. We are on this journey of going vertical together. Colossians chapter 3. 
I'm going to have Karen come up here and help me read. My voice is kind of hurting today. And she's going to pick up and read verses 1 through 17. Set a context for us. So Colossians 3. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourself of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's just pray. Um, God, I pray that um, your word would dwell richly in us today as we hear it and as we then this week seek to live that out. Um, God, I even pray that you'd help us to be more like Canadian geese who um, encourage and love and support one another and as as we learn how to do that as members of this body, that we would encourage each other and, and love and serve one another. So God, open our hearts today as we look into your word and speak to us through it. In your name, amen. Yeah. Thanks, babe. By the way, that's my wife. Just if you're new here. <laughs> Let's start in Colossians 3.16. <laughs> First part of that verse, let the word of Christ Dwell in you richly. I want to take this apart because this statement is really, really important with what where we're going to today. Okay? We're on this vertical journey together. We're talking about it. What does it look like to be a people? What does it look like to be a church that's doing the vertical journey together? And let's start with this statement here. And let's start with the first word, dwell. Dwell. The word dwell here means to live in. It's to, to be at home in. It's to take up residence. Okay, got the idea? It's to dwell in something. 
Now, the form of this is called a present active imperative. That means that what's being said here is Paul is speaking to these believers, speaking to this church in Colossae. He's saying, listen, there is something that's supposed to dwell in you. And understand this, it's in a present active form, which means it's to be constantly all the time. There's to be something that's to be dwelling in you all the time. Now, and then now, and then now, and then now, and then now. And also, it's an imperative. It's a command. When the original readers were reading this in the Greek, they understood. Paul wasn't saying this. Hey, you know what? It would really be kind of a cool idea to kind of make my day, actually. It made me feel good about myself if, like, uh, you did this. Paul is saying, listen, I'm telling you something. There must be something that dwells in you all the time, presently, continuously, actively. Let me just illustrate this kind of with a little goofy picture. Here we go. Here's the difference between dwelling and non-dwelling. See the two top cubby holes? Someone is dwelling there. Got it? They're like in there, crammed in, laying in, hanging out. They have taken over that space. You see the bottom one? Nothing dwelling there. Or maybe there are some things dwelling there, but they're so small, you can't even tell. But the top two, uh, top two are what this text is talking about. There must be something that dwells. Now, dwells where? It dwells in you. In you. Now, one of the disadvantages of the English language is that when we say you, it can mean singular you or it can mean plural you. In other words, it can mean you, individual. Probably that's when you read it, that's what you're thinking. But it doesn't mean that. What it's actually saying is it's saying you all. It's a plural form of the word. It's really important because Paul is writing to a group of believers, this church in Colossae, he's writing to them and he's saying this as a you all. And I think this is so important because the flow of this text is about the wholeness of a group of believers gathering and living life and doing life together. It's about you all. There is something that's to be dwelling in y'all. Okay, understand this. When we say you all in this plural form, it also means each of you individually, doesn't it? Listen, you all means not just a few of you, but all of you all. There's a wholeness, a fullness, but also an individual reality. So there's something that's commanded to take home, uh, to take its home, to take up a residence in you. Uh, That sounds a bit spooky, doesn't it? It's kind of like body invasion kind of thing. But understand this. The Bible, this concept of something dwelling you is not something that's new. In fact, here's a couple. Romans 7, 7 says that sin dwells in the believer. Same word. Sin dwells in the believer. Romans 8, 11, it says that the Holy Spirit dwells in the redeemed believer. Now, that's a good thing. When you came to Christ... The Holy Spirit dwells in you, permeates you. Second uh, Timothy one five it says that faith dwells in the believer. In fact, in the context of it, Paul is talking to Timothy's grandmother Eunice, or I forget the which who's who, but the grandmother and the mother, and saying faith dwells in them. It permeates them. It, it covers every crack and crevice of them. Is this idea? But here in verse 16, it's not talking about sin. It's not talking about the Holy Spirit. It's not even talking about faith. It's talking about something different. What is that? Well, before we get there, I want for us to notice the way in which this is to dwell, the manner in which this is dwelled. There's a key word here, 
Dwell in you how? Let's one more time. Dwell in you how? Richly. Now, we hear the word richly, and that can mean they're doing pretty well. They're white collar. You know, they're a little above average. Or, yeah, they're pretty rich. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about stinking, mega, absolutely huge, tycoon, filthy rich is the word here. Okay? And even, I love this fact, Titus 3, 5 says that God pours out his regenerating, his renewing work on you with this word, richly. Think about that. If you understand how big sin is, and you understand, therefore, how big God's regenerating, renewing work has to be. Listen, this is God. Who is it? This is God, all of God, and all of God is saying there that he richly gives all of his, he pours out his regenerating work on a person that comes to Christ. It's that kind of rich. Okay? And so Paul here in this statement is saying something should be dwelling in you, permeating you big time. Every spot, every space, every crack, every corner, it's pouring on like that. Got the picture? There's not a dry spot on this boy in that picture. That's what the text is talking about. In fact, it's so rich that it literally it takes over what it's dwelling in. I haven't even gotten to what it is yet, but I want to notice one thing before we hit that. Notice this. Notice that the text is telling us that this isn't something that automatically dwells in you. I've already brought up this idea that sin dwells in you. Now, sin, it comes from Adam and Eve. And that's passed on. And in other words, we've all sinned, Romans 3, 23. But there's also this concept that sin dwells in you. We could kind of say it this way. I didn't, I didn't start out great. And then the first time I sinned, it all went bad. I started out bad. Okay. Then with the Holy Spirit, I didn't bring the Holy Spirit on me. I can't do that. When I received Jesus Christ, God permeated, gave, secured, sealed, fully poured on the spirit of God on. But this is something that doesn't happen automatically. This is something that you all and individually must do. Why do I say that? Because look at the first word, let. In other words, it's saying you let something dwell in you richly. This is my task. This is your task. This is our task. This is something you have to have a responsibility to do. God does an amazing amount of richly pouring it on stuff. But this is one of the things that God has called his believers, his children to do. Dying to know what it is? (laughs) You already know. Look, let the word of Christ dwell in you. How? The word of Christ. It's the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. Friends, how do we know what any of that is? It's this. In fact, grab your Bible, hold it up for a minute. I love it. Just keep holding it up for a little bit. We're going to do a little aerobics exercise on the arms. 
This is what the text is talking about. This is to be the thing that dwells on you richly. This right here. This is it. Okay, down. This is what is supposed to dwell on you. Now, there's a couple of cool things about that. That means that God's word is designed to permeate every aspect of your life. Now, you, if you have the idea that the Bible is some outdated, antiquated, kind of boring, antique thing, listen, that's not what it is. The word of God is designed so that it permeates, it can permeate every aspect of your life. The problem isn't the Bible. Not only is it designed to permeate, But the scripture talks about how it desires to permeate every aspect of your life. Listen, God wants his word to dwell in you and I and we richly pouring it on. He's designed it to be that way and he desires it to be that way. It's all right there. The issue is, am I, are you, are we letting it do that? That's the issue. The call is to let the word of Christ dwell in you all richly. This would be a great time to ask the question, is that you? Is that us? But instead of asking that question, oh, I just did. But instead of asking that question, um, I want to goose you. I want to goose you today in the most loving brother in Christ kind of way possible. Okay? Why do they do this? Keep at it! Go! Come on, keep it up! Hang in there! Stay on course! Honk! Honk! Come on! Way to go! I heard someone first up there. Way to lead the pattern! Well, again... One more time. Listen, I want to goose you. Because this is what I want to goose. This is what God has given us. He's designed it and he desires it to permeate every aspect of my life, your life, our life. Listen, man, woman, teen, child. Let it. Let it. This is the reality. Every one of us can grow in letting the word of God dwell in us more richly. True? Let's not play the game because I'm the pastor. I got it all together. Listen, we're in this together. V formation. Honk. If you're not going to remember anything else today, you'll be remembering that. Let me just show you one more thing out of this because uh, I think here's it leads us into the rest, and it, I hope it illustrates what's what. If you're colorblind, you won't be able to tell too much here. But I have a uh, a jar inside of a jar, and it's got blue water in it. Let's just say that's you all. That's you, and that's you all. Now, letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly, oftentimes this is what the reality is. This is the word. This is you all or you. And we're like, you know what? I, I, I want, I went on Sunday and then I went to small group and then I went on Sunday and then I went to Sunday again and then I went again. That is not what the text is talking about. 
And notice it, it, it's, I'm putting in yellow water and it's not making any difference. This is where a lot of people get to where it's like, you know, I came to a place where I received Jesus Christ as my savior. And it's like, I'm not seeing any difference. Why? First place to go. How deeply rich in the word are you? And it's oftentimes it's like, God's not doing his deal on me. No, no, no. God is doing his full deal on you. The question is, is am I richly allowing the word of God to dwell in my life? Richly permeating. It's more like this rather than that silly little plastic deal. It's more like this. This is pouring it out as the word of God is being poured out. Oh, by the way, do you notice how when the word of God is being poured out in my life, going and going and going, that I begin to change? We begin to change. It's turning green. It's, I'm still there. We're still there. But something new is happening to it. It's being changed as it's coming into my life. Oh, and by the way, it doesn't mean that I stop when I get where I want to be. In fact, it's more like this. It's just to be pouring out. And when it, out of me, out of us, it just pours out. It overflows. In fact, the text tells us here, there's three areas that the overflowing, how it shows itself. Let's take a look at the three. You want to see the three? Excellent. Honk. Okay. (laughs) I'm sick and right now I can just go wherever. Okay. I'm like off the edge. (laughs) Uh, One, look at the text. Verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching one another. What happens when the word of Christ dwells in you richly? One of the things that happens is you become a teaching one another person. You become a teaching one another people. Why would that be? Well, teaching, the word here is about talking about imparting information. It's it's giving instruction. It's kind of the positive stuff. It's like, here's what the word of God says. And it's teaching that. It's providing God truth to others to help them grow in their growth journey with Christ. And it's just something that's being done presently and continuously and actively all the time. All the time. It's not just Sundays. It's not just small group. It's how often? All the time. That means at home. That means at work. That means every, that means like, oh yeah, all the time. Teaching. Oh, but Doug, I'm not a teacher type. Uh, I don't really want to teach. That's not necessarily my thing. Well, let, let me give you two responses to that. Number one is oftentimes when we hear the word teaching, we think of academic formal teaching. In other words, we think of like teaching a Sunday school class, an adult Sunday school class, or teaching a small group, or teaching on a podium kind of like I am doing, or in a classroom. True? But that's not what this is talking about. So number one, if you're kind of in the arena where it's like, I'm just not a teacher type guy. I'm not a teacher type gal. That's okay. The text isn't talking about that here. Shoo. Okay. The text is talking about all the time teaching through life. We'll get there in just a second. Now, let me the other. If you're thinking that teaching means I need to get involved in the vertical journey with others and I really don't want to do that, I want to lovingly come alongside you and just say, Really? 
Really? You, you, you don't want to be someone who in your home, with your friends, with your kids, with those in your small group, with believers in Christ at your church, you, you don't want to be someone that comes apart and is a life on life, side by side, teaching one another, bringing the scriptures into the truth, realities. You don't want to be that? I just, again, I love you enough to say this. I don't think you understand the gospel. I really don't. I understand the challenge of it. I understand the scariness of it. I understand the messing of it. I understand the hurt and the pain of it. I just want for you to know, just transparent in my own life. There have been times in my life when I was first like put in place where I had some one-on-one discipleship opportunities with guys in college. I was scared to death. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know where to go. But someone was there to help me. When it came to teaching in an adult Bible fellowship class years ago, Karen and I, before I think we even had kids. I just remember, I was scared to death. I'll tell you, uh, getting out of business and moving into full-time ministry and doing this. And and, uh, it at times just scares me. It hurts. It's hard. There's sleepless nights at times. There's times where it's like, you know what? We just said the other day, jokingly, but yet in a moment, Karen and I just transparently said, you know what? Sometimes it would really be cool just to like, let's go like move on, get a cottage out in Colorado and be selfish. Let me honk. Let me encourage you. As you become someone more in the word of God and the word of God teaches and penetrates and permeates every aspect of life and it changes from a one-dimensional page with letters on it into a two and then a three-dimensional reality in life. And it's like, oh, I'm just looking at my whole lifeline. It's like, oh my word, the word of God is amazing. And it gets to that point and it's like, Ah, I got to overflow onto some other people. And as you start rubbing shoulders and interacting with them, and it's like, I'm telling you, God just begins moving you. And it's like teaching one another. People want to be around teaching one another people. And if you're not in the word, giddy up, honk. It's time. I'm serious. It's time. It's time. Let the word of Christ dwell in you ritually and teaching one another comes out of that. And I'll tell you, there's been no other experience in life like coming alongside people and watching them grow. Nothing. It's awesome teaching one another. So giddy up. Turn off the TV. Put down the romance novel. 
Step away from the computer. Give up some time with your hobby. Get in the Word. Pour it on. And I'm talking to me too. Honk. Thank you. People abundantly rich in the word of God are teaching one another people. And secondly, they are admonishing one another people. This is some of the hard stuff of the reality of doing vertical together. Admonishing one another. The text says admonishing one another in all wisdom. I want for you to understand the word that's used here is not rebuke one another. There's actually a different word for that. This is not talking about everyone is supposed to be the sin police walking around and jumping on everyone else's sin while they've got, as Matthew 7 says, a big gigantic massive beam in our own eye. It's not talking about that. Instead here, what the text here, the word that's used here in the Greek for admonishing, it means to caution your brother or sister in Christ. It means to advise against. It means to urge them to a greater, a proper duty. It's to warn them, to warn them of the consequences. It's to exhort to correct. First Thessalonians 5.14 says, Admonish the idol. Honk. Keep at it. Listen. I, I, I exhort you. I, I want to challenge you. Listen. You start getting out of the course that God has set. Life gets hard. A choice to sin is a choice to suffer for you. God's even designed it that way. When we go wrong, God has put within us a spirit of God and guilt is there. Why? It's there so that we get back on course. And with the V-shape of the geese, as the physics of it happens, it's designed so when they stay together, 71% greater efficiency. But when they pull out, resistance starts hitting. And it's harder, and it's harder, and it's harder. Why is the resistance there? To encourage them to get back in line. Listen, as I've talked, it's not about producing a bunch of lemmings. It's talking about on course for what God has for me. And when I step out from that, everybody in this room knows that. When I step out from that, life gets harder. True? And here what this text is talking about is not only that life gets harder for the good of pulling us back in, but we're supposed to be the one and others providing resistance to each other if we start going in a wrong direction. Think about this. Acts 20, 31. Write this down. Acts 20, 31 is a key verse. Paul says that for three years, I did not cease night and day to admonish everyone. Uses the same Greek word. For three years. Now, one of the things that tells us is Paul's not going around like, that's not what's going on. And he's like, don't do that. Don't do that. Can't do that. Can't do that. He's, this isn't talking about legalism. Paul, for three years, as he's teaching the people, the believers in Ephesus, he's trying to help them understand what life with Christ looks like. And at times that means, listen, don't go there. I'm just telling you, don't go there. Not only does it not please God, but it's going to end up coming back and being hard on you. I exhort you, don't go there. 
For three years. Now, I didn't also note the rest of the verse. Paul says, for three years, I did not cease day and night to admonish everyone with tears. You get the idea? This was the kind of thing. Paul didn't necessarily love this. This was hard. This at times took it right out of him. And times it's like, my brother, my sister in Christ. No, no, don't go there. Honk with tears. The most loving thing to do is when a brother or sister in Christ is going in the wrong direction, is going in the sin direction, yet one of the most hard things, oh, friends, I don't like doing this at all because I just know of sin and areas that I need to grow in my own life. But listen, we're called to honk. And it's the times we come along and in that the most loving thing to do is to come along and to encourage them, exhort them, challenge them, and sometimes bring out the heat to bring them back to follow the Lord. And Paul did with tears. Teaching one another and exhorting one another. Admonishing one another. 1 Thessalonians 5.12 says that church leaders are to do this. Romans 15.14, listen to me. It says, every believer in Christ is competent to do this exact Greek word. That means you. Believer in Christ. God has equipped you with the word of God. God has equipped you with the spirit of God. And you're in V formation, going vertical together. Together. And we see a brother and sister in Christ who's starting to go in the wrong direction. The most loving thing to do is to come alongside them. But Doug, what about let love cover it? Yeah. Love does cover some sin. But then there's times where there's certain things where we see ongoing patterns. We see things that are taking place. And listen, that's where we need to step in. And out of love for our brother, out of love for our sister in Christ, we check and we exhort with humility and patience and love. Doug, what does this look like? Well, let me just briefly kind of take you through an example that I use whenever teaching on this. Matthew 18, verses 15 through 20. We won't go there because of time. But Matthew 18 talks about this. What do I do when a brother or sister sins against me? What do I do when a brother or sister is sinning? By the way, not the, not the legalist police. Well, let me give you an example. Let's just say that Paul, Zerniak, I'm going to pick on here. Let's just say Paul is uh, one day uh, with some with the family or is one day with some people at work, whatever, and is going to have lunch over at Olive Garden here in Avon. Paul comes in and, and just going to sit down, doing lunch, and all of a sudden out of the corner of his eye, he sees me over there in the corner. And I'm having lunch with a woman, and uh, Paul, not only just, this, let's say we're in a small group together, not only just a pastor, it doesn't have to be the pastor, but just can be someone else I, I know well or I know as a believer in Christ and sees me over there having lunch with a woman and Paul's just kind of running through his head. Is It's like, you know, uh, I, I know that's not Karen. 
and I know that's not his daughter, and um, hmm, not sin police. But I hope Paul would care. I, I hope Paul would run through his head Ephesians five three. There must not even be a hint of sexual immorality. And not only for me as a pastor, being in the role that I am. Out of that, and Paul sits down and he's just not sure what's going on. I hope, and I would invite, and I hope you would invite, if Paul would not email me and tell me what happened, email is not the place, okay? I've seen so much garbage through email. Talk! This thing! Okay, I hope that Paul would call me or maybe send me an email. Hey, could we get together? And we get together and the first part of Matthew 18 is he saw that and he's concerned for me. And he gets together and say, hey, Doug, I saw you over at lunch. And I just, I love you. And, and I may have this all wrong, but just out of care for one another, V formation together. I just want to make sure as my brother in Christ, I love you. And here's what happened. I was there and I saw you having lunch with this woman. And I was just kind of wondering, are things okay? Isn't that cool? I don't know if you're going, that's dorky. I just want to say, that's awesome. And let's just say I respond. And I say, well, here's what happened. Thank you for asking. I hope that would be the case. Because by the way, People that are loving, dwelling in the word richly, invite that. And I hope I would respond to that. Paul, thank you. Oh, thank you that this burdened you, that you would come and you would talk to me. You got the guts to be able to do this. Thank you. Man, that is love. And here's what happened. Uh, In the day, I got a call from my sister-in-law from Omaha, and she was coming through town and happened to be the case. And Karen was out and couldn't be. She was gone or whatever. And so I was with my sister-in-law, Linda, and we were having lunch together. And he's like, oh, okay, cool. Now, let me just ask this. Even if Paul kind of understood what was going on, it's like, okay, we're all right. Thanks for clarifying it. I would hope if I didn't bring it up that Paul would just go, Doug, is that wise? I'm not saying it was a wrong thing to do necessarily, but is that a wise thing for you to be able to be in that situation? Because I came in as a brother in Christ. I want to think the best, but yet one is maybe a a small group bud, or I'll just even say, especially is your pastor. Doug, is that wise? Here's the answer. No. No, it's not. And especially for me. I'll just tell you as pastoral staff, we have guidelines. We can't do that. Can't do that. Back in my business days, I used to have the rule that when oftentimes there would be women salesmen for various things, and I had the rule. I would never have lunch or a meal or any kind of thing like that with a woman alone, even if it was all business. And there were some times where they would ask, hey, you know, can we take out a lunch? Because that's just the way things work in the business world. And I would say, here's, I just have a personal guideline that um, I only do that if I have someone else with. That's just a personal parameter I have. I got to tell you, every time that happened, it only happened two, three times in like 20 years. But I got to tell you, each one of those times, that woman looked with respect. And so I got one of the guys, by the way from work, not one of the gals. It wasn't me and two gals. It was me and a guy. 
and earth. Listen, I'm just bringing that up because Matthew 18 begins out by saying, listen, if, if there's someone where you think is in a sin pattern or has done something where it's like, you just love them enough, you need to make sure, go and talk. And if it turns out where I'm in that and I'm like fudging around and Paul's just kind of concerned with what, that that wasn't a good case and something's not right there, then Paul, I would want Paul to be able to say, Doug, I love you. And I'm just concerned about this. And I, I would like to maybe go ask to the other guys, you know, I'd like to get Ryan. I'd like to get Michael. And I'd like, can we get together and just make sure that, because I'm kind of not understanding. Do you see the resistance is heating up a little bit? Why? Because he loves Jesus. Because he loves me. And then if we get together, and if it was not something right, oh my goodness, it's all about restoring. It's all about restoration. And then in that point, coming back to Christ, and maybe it was wrong, and I'm confessing my sin, making that right. Oh, thank you guys for doing that. Honk! And yet if it gets to a place, Matthew talks about it, gets to that place to where I or someone was continuing to rebuke or to, to just deny what was happening and not repent of an actual sin taking place. It literally gets to the point where it talks about take it to the ecclesia, take it to the church, take it to the leaders. And depending on the breadth of the circle, that means that the church gets involved on that as well, depending on the wide of the circle. Doug, are you serious? Like that's, that's resistance. I mean, that's intense, especially nowadays. And here's the answer. It's biblical. It's done lovingly, it's done patiently, it's not done quickly, it's not done with a bad attitude, it's done to restore over time. I'm just going to let you know, has this come about here? This has come here a couple times. We've almost taken it to that last place in a couple situations. But so far, praise God, those individuals have either come back or have left. I just want to tell you, this is hard stuff, isn't it? I mean, a church does that today? I don't want to go there. I just want for you to know, if that's the case, this is what we're about. This is what we're about. Lovingly and graciously. Because it's all about grace. Teaching one another. Admonishing one another. And look at the last one here. Let's wrap it up. I love this. This puts it all into perspective. Singing to one another. Singing to one another. Teaching, let the word of Christ dwell in you, Richie. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Listen, there's emotion behind it. It's expressed. It's rich in the word. People sing. Honk. Except we get to sing. And singing here, it talks about scripture put to song. It's talking about uh, uh, expressions of praise to God put to music. It's talking about the reality of experiences, as Nick's talked, and I mentioned last week, a new song of experiences directed to God, but edifying one another and thankfulness in your hearts. Oh my word, how cool is this? V formation together, moving to vertical for the Lord growing in Christ. Honk, baby, honk. Woo, yeah. I know I look like a dork, but that's okay. And you may be here for a first time and you are freaked out. <laughs> I just want for you to know, we want to be serious about this.
want to be serious about this. Love God. Going vertical. Together. Teaching one another. Correcting one another. Singing to one another. Mm. On course. Kicking it out. To God be the glory. God, thank you so much for our time in the word. And Lord, this is just a tremendous moment here, if you will, to kind of bring it to this communion. We're just going to, in our last moments here, celebrate the, the reality of communion with you. God, you've called us to be a people that love you, that walk with you, that serve you and encourage one another serve one another, teach one another, exhort one another, sing to one another. Oh Lord, I pray here, we just come to this moment and we are reminded it's all because of your grace nailed to the cross. You did for us what we could not do for ourselves. You are good. We adore you for it. In Christ's name we pray, amen.